Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We put Layla Atassi on an elevator a little while ago to get her out of the salt mines. About now, she's looking at sunshine and wondering what it is. Tomorrow, we'll put Laura on that elevator so she can escape the salt mines. In their place, we have Courtney Astolfi on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Courtney, as well as Laura and Lisa Garvin. We have a fishy story to talk about. Let's get to it. The fisherman accused of cheating in the walleye contest will now face the music in a courtroom. Lisa, what are the charges they are facing? Yeah, Cuyahoga County Grand Jury on Wednesday indicted 42-year-old Jacob Runyon of Ashtabula and his fishing partner, 35-year-old Chase Kaminsky of Hermitage, Pennsylvania. They face fifth-degree felonies of attempted grand theft, cheating, and possession of criminal tools. There was also a first-degree misdemeanor charge of unlawful ownership of wild animals. They will be arraigned in Cuyahoga County Court on October 26th, and right now they don't have any attorneys of record listed for them. Um, so on Tuesday, Kaminsky's Ranger bass boat and trailer was seized by Pennsylvania authorities. In the search warrant, it says that police actually investigated the pair after their April win in the Toledo Rossford walleye roundup, but the prosecutor declined to charge at the time. So there was there was already suspicions about these guys, but they also won three consecutive Lake Erie walleye trail contests going back to November of 2021. And the Lake Erie walleye trail official said themselves that that was unprecedented. Um, it's believed they've won up to $200,000 in cash and boats in their, you know, in their alleged cheating scam. The the seizure of the boat as a criminal tool is fascinating because it was a criminal tool. They used the boat to cheat if they get convicted. Uh, but, but the charges are serious, I guess because of the amount of money they've won, but it's felonies. They could go to prison. Right, right. But, you know, and, and it's so funny because, you know, as we've said before, and I said in my, my roundtable, is that fishermen love to exaggerate. But when it comes down to sportsmanship, fishermen are good sports. And I think it was amazing to me that immediately upon the discovery of the weights in these fish, um, you know, the fishermen around were already, you know, just enraged by it all. So it's a shame that they've ruined a sport like this. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's a lot of money. That's almost a quarter million dollars in winnings for possibly cheating. Yeah, maybe the penalties for this will be a discouragement to future cheaters, although I, I doubt it. They're way too creative. It's today in Ohio. Just a week ago, our Cleveland's Promise series profiled the Say Yes to Education program that has been making a huge difference in Cleveland school students. So why the sudden bad news that could cripple funding for a key element of Say Yes success? Courtney. Yeah, this is this is a big story and could have a big impact on CMSD high schoolers and their futures. So reporter Caitlin Durbin has reported that Cuyahoga County, you know, Cuyahoga County has been funding 
kind of half of this program. There's there's private money that's been raised for the actual scholarships for CMSD students, but then the other huge piece of the puzzle for this Say Yes program are the wraparound services that the schools provide high schoolers to, to set them off in, in life with the right kind of tools and resources they need to make them successful as they move into the, the college years. And those wraparound services are in the form of support specialists that you know, are to be home-based at, at every school at CMSD. And those support specialists are funded through a combination of funding from the county and CMSD and charter schools. And the county money that's been coming through here for the past couple years within it includes some federal grant dollars aimed for the care of foster youth. Now, the reimbursement of those federal grants that the county had been counting on to help pay for its share of the support specialists, that money is not coming in as county officials originally thought it would. And therefore, that's putting the county's contribution for these support specialists in jeopardy. You know, the county was kind of expected to maybe put forth $9 million to pay for this school year to cover those costs, but but they're, they're unable to cover that. Instead, the, the county's looking to provide about $5 million in funding. So about half of it are expected what they were to be pitching in. This is causing outrage. I mean, I'm hearing about it all over town because the county council, as we've repeatedly discussed, has created $66 million in slush funds to give out for things like golf courses, golf clubhouses. I think that was $4 million, and they cannot come up with $5 million to replenish this very important money. I think they're going to get blasted by people in education. There's stuff coming. Uh, this is just why they didn't come up with some replacement funding. I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty pretty concerning. I understand why folks are up in arms. I just, just to kind of poke around here, I remember sitting through some of the initial hearings when the county was considering to put this money through initially back in 2019, and I found some old reporting from uh, our former reporter Patrick O'Donnell, and it seems like there was even a question mark back in 2019 about whether these federal grants could be used could be appropriately applied to the Say Yes scholarship programs. And he, he tried to seek an opinion from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where this grant comes from. They declined to offer an opinion on whether the money could use be used this way. But a, a county official, a longtime member of Armin Budish's cabinet, Matt Carroll, had kind of assured officials back at that time that the grant money could be used for this purpose. So I'm really kind of curious about this dynamic when did we know that this could be questionable funding and what's been going on in the meantime to ensure that we could fill that gap? I'm, I'm curious the behind the scenes discussions here. But Armin Budish was part of the group that rallied this community to donate, what was it, $125 million to pay for the scholarships. This was a community-wide effort, but it was always based on having these specialists providing these children with the services they need to get beyond the non-educational challenges, legal services, or, you know, they need clothing, whatever it is they need. These are the folks that are supposed to help and the funding is going to run dry. The county has a duty to make good here and they're squandering $66 million. I mean, it's one of those where you just sit back and think, where is the common sense? They have money. Why don't they spend it on something they had provided a commitment to? 
Yeah, and I mean, you've been talking a lot about county spending this year, the investment into the MedMart to upgrade. I mean, where are our priorities and, and where will this funding come from? Right now, with the contribution that the county's okay with, that reduced number of about $5 million that they'd be looking to chip in, not the full amount of nine. You know, that, that'll get the schools through March. But the, the Diane Downing, who's in charge of Say Yes Cleveland, indicated that they're going to have to go out and, and fundraise to even pay for specialists to finish out this current school year. And and that's right, you know, this spring, if those support specialists go away in March, that's right, as kids, you know, seniors are gearing up for their next year, that seems like a pivotal time for these support specialists not to be funded in the schools. What happens? I mean, this is a crisis potentially this school year. Maybe the county council will take a page from the admins board, which finally stepped up yesterday to provide the money necessary to fund the psychiatric emergency room at uh, St. Vincent Charity Hospital. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The county needs to step up here. Look, we just profiled this program as part of Cleveland's Promise, our big education series where our reporters have been in a classroom for the past year. And it's critical to the success of Cleveland school students. We had all the statistics about how much things have changed. You can't cripple this now. It's too successful. And I just don't get this county council. They don't seem to have the public in mind. I mean, the money they spent just on the golf clubhouse would almost do the trick. Golf clubhouse, Cleveland school children. What should the priority be? It's today in Ohio. With more and more reports about long COVID causing agonizing problems for people who contract the virus, what is the good news for parents about the bivalent vaccine, which largely prevents people from getting sick with COVID? Laura, you're a parent. This is news for you. This is news, and it's great news. The kids can finally get this booster dose, and this is obviously targeted to the Omicron BA4 and BA5 variants, and now kids as young as five can get it, as long as they haven't had another booster shot within the last two months. So if your kids are under five, still waiting for that uh, to be recommend, you know, to be allowed from the FDA. But right now, kids in school, and and we all worry about the fall. You know, once we start shutting all the windows and shooing everybody inside, are we going to have another spike? This would keep your kids, pro- you know, good chance of keep them from getting sick at all. What do you mean when we shut all the windows? I shut my windows a month ago. <laughs> okay, my window is open right now. We've had a lovely week of weather. Uh, but yeah, I mean, basketball season hasn't started yet. And, you know, the kids are still going outside for recess every day and all that. But um, yeah, this is great news because you we love to think that COVID is no longer an issue. But my 93-year-old grandma in Canada just got COVID uh, this week. So, um, wow. you know, it's yeah, yeah, still there. Uh, Gretchen Carlin, our one of our health writers, is working on a story about long COVID. There have been a bunch of recent studies that are truly frightening. It's a mm-hmm. huge percentage of the population. Kids get it. You can get it even if you had no symptoms. You might not even know if you had COVID and you could end up with long COVID. Uh, and and she's already got stuff that I've read nowhere else. It's it's People should look forward to it. It'll probably run in a week. But, but this is important because the latest vaccine – gets you back to where you won't get sick or the Mm -hmm. percentages are you won't get sick. Whereas before this, if you got the vaccine, you probably still get sick. A lot of people did. They just didn't get that sick. So if if you want to really reduce your chances of getting long COVID, that vaccine is really important. And the fact that anybody six and over can get it 
is a big step forward. I guess the next step is when we get to six months and older, that takes a lot longer though, right? Right, exactly. And those, I mean, those vaccines for those kids weren't weren't given all that long ago. It was just this year. So you can get to make your five for the Pfizer and six for Moderna. I think the Moderna had been actually, I think it might've been 18 before and, and Pfizer was 12. So this is good news for a whole cohort of kids. I, I just wonder if people do it. We've talked before that people are just don't seem to be getting the follow-up vaccines. A lot of people got the initial vaccine, but they haven't followed up. I think Gretchen's story might scare some people into doing it. The facts on long COVID are are very, very scary. Only about half of, I think, Ohioans that got the vaccine ended up getting a booster. I got my booster with the flu shot, so I've got the bivalent. And my kids got vaccinated right before school started, so they will be ready for another dose soon. I'm sure they'll be thrilled. Yeah, I got the bivalent as soon as the, the day the day after it became available. I'm a big believer in getting these vaccines. I don't want to get long COVID. I'm old. It's <laughs> today in Ohio. Hey, Lisa, how much money is Ohio getting from the federal infrastructure bill? And who decides how to spend all that money? Because we know that when those decisions are made, they're not always made with the public interest in mind. Yeah, the Ohio Department of Transportation will be receiving $2 billion from President Biden's Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And of course, this goes for roads and bridges. And they will have leeway on how to allocate it. And we don't have any details from them. But Congressman Tim Ryan, the Democrat from Niles, who's running for U.S. Senator, says that uh, he produced a list of 11 programs with numbers attached. So, you know, obviously he knows something. But uh, apparently a big chunk of this, $970 million, according to Ryan's list, will go to what's called the National Highway Performance Program, another $471 million to a surface transportation block grant, $106 million for congestion mitigation and air quality, and then several other programs like railroad and highway crossings, uh, Appalachian Highway Development, $29.8 million for national uh, electric vehicle infrastructure in Ohio, and also metropolitan planning. So, yeah. But like I said, ODOT has final say on where this money goes. You know, this makes me nervous because in, in a previous life, when our newsroom was bigger, we had people devoted to transportation, and it was without fail, you would find ODOT misbehaving and we don't now. If I could get another reporter in Columbus, I would probably make them half-time transportation. And news came out yesterday that Gannett is is cutting way back in its newsrooms again. So there's not a lot of watchdogging on this. I wonder if we could we make an argument that this is stimulus money and we have Lucas Dupriel, our <laughs> stimulus watch reporter, cover it, Laura? I'm all for that idea because he finds some incredible um, scoops. Somebody's got to pay attention to this. It's way too much money not to be really monitoring. Um, and resources for journalists are so tight. This is where things can go awry. We should we should talk about it because it's money we should follow. Some of this money, ostensibly, could go to helping Cleveland build its lakefront project that's much talked about if they have to change around the roadways. And uh, so that would be a good thing. <laughs> We'd get some money from that. But you do wonder whether... Ohio's focus on taking care of rural areas at the expense of the cities is going to steer most of the money away from us. I don't know. I mean, Mike DeWine has been a friend to the lake, like he's made it a priority. But I mean, Chris, I cannot believe that you are suggesting that there could be corruption in construction companies I mean, <laughs> with cost overruns. Like, I don't I don't know. 
I don't know, Lisa. You you have any faith that this will spend be spent honestly? I don't know. I think that we need to be watching them, but this is a whole big chunk of money, and I wonder where Ryan's list came from. I mean, he had you know specific dollar amounts attached, so I'm figuring some of that at least came from the Department of Transportation. That's a whole lot of money that could disappear, you know, in small amounts here and there. Well, yeah. And- well, go ahead, Courtney. I, I, I'm curious. I mean, shenanigans aside. Is the state deciding what kinds of projects he can go to? Will there be any money up for for local control? I mean, I didn't I didn't hear public transit in that in that list we read. Is there any money that's part of that that can go for public transit well, there, for big cities like? Cleveland? There's fifteen million dollars for metropolitan planning, whatever that means. <laughs> that's like Noaka, right? Yeah. A lot of questions here. Lucas, if you're listening, we're coming your way. It's today in Ohio. How much is Ohio kicking in for the Honda plants we talked about Wednesday? And how much do we know about? Courtney? Yeah, speaking about government spending here, uh, we, we are looking at a $156 million price tag for Ohio state taxpayers. You know, we learned that state officials want to offer this amount uh, in economic incentives to help Honda build a new electric vehicle battery plant down in Fayette County. And it would also go towards their revamp of three other Ohio plants uh, to, to produce electric vehicles at those locations. Now, this $156 million price tag isn't the extent of what the state will likely put forward. There's another price tag out there that, that we don't know what it amounts to, probably coming from Jobs Ohio, where there's all sorts of secrecy and we don't get to spe- see how those dollars are spent. Although it sounds like we may get some insight onto that contribution once a final agreement's in place. But going back to the pot of money we do know about, that includes a $71 million job creation tax credit. It would require Honda to create and keep 2,500 new jobs in the state among those four facilities. And it also includes $85 million in in infrastructure for water and transportation around these plants. It's the game we play, right? States all compete for these plants. You want these plants. You want the employment. You want the revenue it brings in. And to get it, you've got to spend public dollars. And so you're better off if you win but what a sad state of affairs that you're basically paying people to set up shop. The Jobs Ohio angle is important because as we just learned with the flight to Ireland, that could be a staggeringly bigger amount of money. It's uh, that's and What we found with the flight to Ireland is a small amount of money was coming local, but the total of, what was it, $12 million, the bulk of it was from Jobs Ohio. We only learned about that because of a records mistake by Cleveland. I will be interested to see what Jobs Ohio is paying here. The the idea that they're using about half of the money you're talking about here to get water to the plant, they're talking about putting in a water line that runs along I-71? Yeah, yeah. They, they've got to run lines that can, can accommodate these plants. Um, DeWine said the plans along I-71, at least for traffic handling, haven't been quite determined le- yet, but... I-71 could be expanded also to take care of traffic moving to and from Fayette County. So there will definitely be investments along the highway to support to support these projects. Well, they have $2 billion in infrastructure money that they can spend on that. It's today in Ohio. 
All right, Laura, in my house and in Lisa's house, the heaters are on, even if your windows are open. With Northeast Ohio having a very cool fall thus far, how should people go about finding the best price for the natural gas powering those heaters? Well, I think they should read Zachary Smith's story because I am not an expert on this and currently have no heat (laughs) during my home renovation. So he really lays it out here with all sorts of um, the best prices that you can get. But it, 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 this seems incredibly confusing. Like you need some kind of advanced degree to break down what you'll be billed. So that's why Zachary did the hard work for us. And basically in Northeast Ohio, there are two natural gas providers, Columbia Gas and Dominion Energy. That depends on where you live. You don't get to pick that. But you, as for the gas itself, then you have all sorts of options and myriad pricing, depending if you want to go variable or you want to lock in a price for as long as four years. And then there is all these delivery and service charges from your um, from your service area provider. So it's it's a lot of numbers. Yeah, it's, it is confusing. That's the problem. And it, mm-hmm. we, we used to, in a, in a long ago day, run an annual list of all the different plans. And that's what this is an attempt to do to help people figure it out. What was interesting is locally, we've talked a lot about NOPEC on the electricity side and how it's in danger but they've got some pretty good gas rates, right? Yeah, they do. And obviously, NOPEC is this nonprofit government aggregator. It goes to the local communities to aggregate all the eligible customers into a program. It's an automatic opt-in. So if you want out, you have to notify them in writing. But it's funny, I was listening to a podcast this morning while I mowed my grass, and it was a NOPEC ad. And I was like, okay. So yes, a lot of people are confused by that. Um, But they can get you a better price. And then the, the numbers in Zachary's story, one was giving you per MCF, another was doing by CCF. I had to look those up. You know, <laughs> CCF is 100 cubic feet and MCF is the volume of 1,000 cubic feet. I don't even know. I'm, I can't even like contemplate what that looks like or what that means in gas for my house. So yeah, I, I get why people are just flummoxed and they get their bill and they're like, I just, it's high. That's all I know. It's just too high. Will you have heat before it snows? That's a very good question. Um, I'm working on that. We do we do have a furnace set up and we do have, uh, we just don't have the boiler all done because we took out a boiler and anyway, so it's a lot of work. But uh, Zachary does have a list of questions to ask if you're going to do all this work yourself for your supplier. They want to know if you're um, a PUCO certified, what is the price per kilowatt hour of electric or price per hundred cubic feet or thousand cubic feet for the natural gas. Is it fixed? Does it change? If it changes, how does it change? Does it depend on how much you use or when you use it? Will there be a switching fee? What about ending a contract early? A lot of things go into this. All right. And I, I do think we can rustle up some space heaters for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll just hang out at the office, although the office the is, office is cold. cold. We're going to need space heaters <laughs> well, in and there. Just FYI, <laughs> there's snow in the forecast for Monday night and Tuesday morning. Oh, yes, no! there is. No, no, no. I think we should put up a headline on that. People will read it just to, just to groan. Wow. All right. It's today in Ohio. Early voting began Wednesday for this much-anticipated election. Lisa, how brisk was the voting in the Cuyahoga County Elections Office? This is very encouraging to me, Chris, because business was brisk yesterday at the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections on the first day of early voting. That By the time they opened yesterday at 8 o'clock, there was a line out the door and down the block. 230 people had voted by lunchtime, and uh, the... <clears throat> 
excuse me, Board of Elections Market Outreach Manager Mike West says they're hoping to meet and exceed the first day early voting total of 466, which happened back in the November 2018 election. And he says they're off to a great start. He is acting actually predicting a 60% turnout in Cuyahoga County. That would be really, really high, but it was 55% in 2018 and 40% in 2014. So that would be, you know, better than the previous four-year elections. Um, So yeah, early voting is in full swing. It's going to be going on, uh, not on weekends, only Monday through Friday. And the last day of early voting will be Saturday, September 29th. I mean, October 29th. I would love to know what the percentage of voters was that was female Mm -hmm. because I keep seeing signs that there is this silent bubble of women that are going to vote because of the abortion ruling. And it would be fascinating to know if those people in line were women that are saying, I'm done with this. We got to fix this situation where men are trying to control what we do with our bodies. Uh, It's going to be very interesting election season. Uh, so it's only Monday through Friday. Is there at the very end? Is there is there some weekend voting? Just the Saturday, you know? uh, October 29th is the the only Saturday date that I've seen. But from you know the 12th to the 14th, the 17th to the 21st, and the 24th to the 28th, you can vote at the Board of Elections from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And, and obviously, course, it's not too long to get it by mail, like get right. it from mail and drop it off at the Board of Elections if you don't trust mailing it back. Right. There's still lots of options. And of course, then there is election day, which is very late. The latest it can be, mm-hmm. right? November mm-hmm. 8th. Right. Because it can't be November 1st. It's today in Ohio. We wondered last week whether Ohio had the ability to appeal the injunction against the heartbeat bill that has kept abortion legal in Ohio. Courtney, now we have an answer. Yeah. Speaking about men in Columbus trying to control Ohioans' bodies. Uh, on Wednesday, <laughs> we learned from Ohio AG Dave Yost that that he's filed a notice of appeal on a ruling that came down last week in Hamilton County Common Pleas Court, excuse me, Pleas Court, that, that put a pause on Ohio's six-week abortion ban and, you know, in effect, reverted back to other rules that, that had the ban at, at 22 weeks. So, like you said, we didn't know where this was going, but Yost said that after he consulted with Governor Mike DeWine, filed this notice of appeal. And, you know, if it's eventually successful, wherever it goes in the appeals process, it would put Ohio's heartbeat ban back into effect with that earliest six weeks mark. So um, we don't have the legal arguments from Yost here yet. He'll lay those out once the court accepts his notice of appeal. So we, we still got to see what he's arguing. But they're they're running with this now. It's interesting because the judge articulated very clear reasons on why to put in the injunction, that, that there were arguments made about why the heartbeat law might violate the Ohio Constitution that deserve real review, that they're not they're not meritless. Uh, but but you had a figure with Yost and the way he loves to to get his name out there that he would appeal this because it's just too easy. He's up for re-election. He gets headlines for doing it. Ultimately, it would be before the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, The timing is interesting, though, because we know the legislature, once the election is over, is coming back with a full head of steam to prohibit abortion in all cases in Ohio. And that could ultimately supersede this. 
Yeah, I mean, we've got to see how all of this shakes out. There's a lot of moving parts to the abortion issue in Ohio. Like you said, I mean, this this is this case at least has got to go up to the Ohio Supreme Court, right? I mean, there's no way it doesn't. Three seats for grabs in the Ohio Supreme Court, how that could impact the eventual decision, how it intersects with what we expect to be forthcoming from the state house. Well, we'll have to see, but I I highly doubt Ohio lawmakers have given up their efforts to, like you said, completely ban this for Ohioans. There is a risk here in Yost doing this for his party in that if, if there's a lot of attention paid to the fact that the Ohio Supreme Court's going to decide whether or not the heartbeat law is in effect, when people go to vote, that could affect it. And for the first time ever, the party affiliations are listed. And so if there's news and buzz about the Supreme Court doing this, and there are a bunch of women that don't like that, it could result in Democrats being elected to the Supreme Court. I wonder if that's what the conversation was between Mike DeWine and Dave Yost. Was it more about the politics or the policy? We will never know. It's Today in Ohio. That does it for a Thursday conversation. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks to everybody who listens. Tomorrow's Friday. We'll wrap up the week. <laughs>